Welcome to the Full Fact Podcast, where we fight bad information one fact at a time. I'm Alexis Conrad, and we have plenty of fact checks in today's episode, including claims by the Prime Minister that no country in the world has a functioning tracing app, whether hand sanitizer can self-combust if left in a hot car, and the Chief Operating Officer at Full Fact gives us a brief history into bad information and the state of global fact-checking. But first, let's welcome Full Fact editor Tom Phillips for some of the latest stories that have been keeping our team of fact-checkers busy and sometimes shaking their heads in despair. Tom, how are you? I'm all right. It's quite warm today. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Well, I'm very... uh, I'm looking forward to that question of... I know it's come up quite a lot of uh, hand sanitizer, self-combusting in hot cars, because I think yesterday my car registered something like 32 degrees. But before we get to that, let's look at some of the stories that you have been looking into. Now, the first one is comparing the COVID-19 death toll to that of the Blitz. Is that figure true, that the deaths can be comparable to that of the Blitz? So this is roughly ballpark uh, correct. Um, So the official death toll from the Blitz, as with all of these things, it's, you know, tricky to get a precise estimate of these things. The official death toll from the Blitz is in the range of sort of 40,000 to 43, 43 and a half thousand, probably on the upper end of that scale. And so far, we've got around about 42,000 official coronavirus deaths deaths. Of course, as we've said many times before, there's a lot of uncertainty around the actual death toll from coronavirus so far. If you look at the excess deaths, some of which may not be directly due to coronavirus, but maybe due to other effects, then you're looking in the sort of the territory of over 60,000 excess deaths over the period of the outbreak. So yes, the official toll of confirmed COVID-19 deaths is pretty much the same as the death toll from the Blitz. It's very likely that that's an undercount. And so probably, yes, the death toll from coronavirus has exceeded that from the Blitz. And are we going to see some more comparisons coming up with the death toll? Are there going to be other major events that will be compared to the death toll of COVID-19? Yeah, so I mean, this is something that we're likely to sort of see coming up in the future. There's lots of epidemics that had death tolls that we hopefully won't hit, but it's possible that we might be hitting soon. So I think the next one up is, it's estimated around about 65,000 people died in the year without a summer, which was when Mount Tambora uh, erupted in 1815, which meant that 1816 had the, the clouds of volcanic ash basically meant that there was no summer in 1816. This led to a famine, which led to itself to a typhus outbreak, and about 65,000 people were killed across the UK. Of course, it's worth remembering that at that time, the UK included Ireland as well, where a lot of those deaths were centred. So that's a milestone, an unpleasant milestone that's going to be coming up. Um, and then you have other pandemics. So you have the cholera pandemic of the mid-1800s, That was just under 75,000. Around about 75,000 or more was the Great Plague of London. And so these are sort of obviously rough estimates. Getting historical death tolls is a really imprecise business. But yeah, it's likely that we're going to be seeing some of the most famous sort of pandemics in history. Our death toll is likely to be creeping up towards that territory over the coming months. Although, you know, hopefully it won't actually reach that point. Okay, well, we shall keep an eye on that. Let's move on to the next story you've been looking into. Now, this is a claim that uh, Black Lives Matter in Scotland have produced posters and stickers with phrases such as kill a white on site and if they don't stop, kill a cop. You've looked into these claims that have been doing the rounds and been shared quite widely on social media. What have you found? 
Yes, yeah, so it's worth saying right up top that Black Lives Matter spokesperson has categorically denied that this is anything to do with them. They've said that they were not created on their behalf and that they denounce any such messages. This is not the first time we've seen this kind of thing. It's worth bearing in mind. You see it quite a lot. Anybody can take a logo and like a typeface and create materials that may appear to be official. We've seen this before, for example, with Extinction Rebellion, where there was actually some quite good evidence that the materials that were being sent around that sort of had white supremacist messages in them under the official Extinction Rebellion logo and things like that were in fact not created by Extinction Rebellion. They were created by a far-right group who wanted to both spread their message but also possibly discredit Extinction Rebellion. How easy is it for those fact checks to take place? Because both the organisations that you were looking into, Black Lives Matter and particularly, actually, Extinction Rebellion, are very decentralised. They have uh, pockets here and there. So when you go to do these fact checks, I mean, who do you reach out to? Because, it, And as you said, it's very easy for people to just print something, stick the logo on, and because of the nature of the organisation being so decentralised, there isn't a spokesperson, there isn't a central office. How do you go about finding out if it's true or not? Ultimately, there comes a point where you can't always be definitive on this. Because the nature of decentralised groups, it's sometimes not possible to say definitively that nobody affiliated with or just generally in support of the organisation may have may or may not have done something. If there's a company or a government department, you can call up their press office and go, did you do this? And they can give a mm-hmm. yes or no answer. That answer may not always be accurate, but you have that central authority that you can go to, whereas you don't often with groups like this. I mean, you sort of think back to a, a anonymous online activist and hacking group their structure was that anybody who says they are anonymous is anonymous there was no way to say oh no this wasn't actually anonymous who did this because if you claimed it you were it we're used to talking about organizations that have centralized control structures and it's kind of tricky to ascribe actions or not ascribed actions to groups that are like this. But yeah, it is really worth bearing in mind that like you you can see this sort of across the political spectrum that sometimes you see materials that are printed with the intent of discrediting a movement rather than actually coming from the movement. Moving on to our next story, Tom. Uh, this involves a letter supposedly sent by the Prime Minister to every citizen in the UK. And it suggests that every citizen is going to be injected with a microchip, an RFID chip, under their skin. Now, before we get into the ins and outs of the letter, which are very, very interesting, could we say that this letter has sort of come about because of the general anxiety, not, not just in this country, but across the world, of the coronavirus being used as a a kind of excuse to either monitor everybody, get everybody to get contact tracing apps, things being downloaded on people's phones, things that we've debunked on already, but this whole idea that people are worried that governments are trying to tag them and control them and watch them. Yeah, so I think it's worth saying up front... Boris Johnson did not send this letter to everybody in the country. (laughs) Little clues that the Prime Minister has not sent this letter out to everybody in the country would include the fact that none of us have got this letter. Simple way you can fact check that at home, (laughs) look at your post. There's other little clues like the signature is not Boris Johnson's signature. It looks like it was written by a child. And actually, like one thing that is quite useful is that any letters that uh, the Prime Minister actually sends out to the public are published on the government's website. So you can go and look to see what letters has the Prime Minister actually sent out. 
so yeah, like obviously, obviously this letter is not real. Um, but yes, it does come from a place of concern about privacy and government tracking. The idea of microchips being implanted in the population is a conspiracy theory that has quite deep roots. And uh, we've seen it quite a lot during the coronavirus pandemic. It often gets attached to Bill Gates as well. The idea that Bill Gates has this plan to implant the population with microchips for unclear reasons and so it's a theory that has these sort of quite deep roots and yes it does go to a lot of the natural concerns that people will have about privacy and about surveillance during a pandemic because obviously there is a genuine tension there beyond the conspiracy theories there is a tension because the things that you need to do to control infectious diseases do Mm -hmm. to some extent require a balance between privacy and liberty and the ability to actually control it. And so there is that tension and it is a real one, but it's obviously given fuel to lots of pre-existing conspiracy theories about much grander plans for global population surveillance and control. Thank you, Tom. Now, for our main topic uh, this episode, we're going to be taking a look back at fact-checking and fake news. And to do that, I'm joined by Mivan Babakar. She's the Chief Operating Officer here at Full Fact. Mivan, thank you for joining me. Now, fake news is a phrase that's joined uh, popular parlance, uh, so to speak, in the last three or four years. But it's not new, is it? No, it's been around since the beginning of time, since we've been able to communicate with each other. We've been lying to each other in some way. I've just been having a look at some sort of highlights of stories, which even in today's, in modern day terms, for example, the the New York Sun in 1835 printed a whole article about how life was discovered on the moon. We have this idea that bad information only comes from uh, nefarious places, but these are major newspapers deliberately printing fake news. In this case, the discovery of uh, reindeer, elk, uh, moose and horned bear, all just to sell some newspapers, which after they'd managed to do so, a few months later down the line, they said, oh, yeah, that that article was inaccurate. Sorry about that. Yeah, and we've seen things like that. That's not really gone away. Um, We still see people posting things to make money, to make a profit. There are hoaxes everywhere, and they come about for all sorts of different reasons. So in a world where there are these hoaxes, fact-checkers have to be quite close behind. Let's look at fact-checking in itself. fact-checking come about, and fact-checkers themselves, did they come about as soon as fake news emerged? There's always been sporadic fact-checking. So the journalists have been fact-checking since these hoaxes have been coming out. People have been fact-checking. If you go back to the ancient Greeks, they've been fact-checking. But I think that the kind of fact-checking that Full Fact does has really been around since, I guess, the 90s. In 1996, Snopes, one of the first fact-checking organisations, was set up, and that was pretty much with the internet. Full Fact was started in 2010, and actually the numbers of fact-checkers over the last couple of years have grown enormously for a new community. So in 2014, there were only 44 active fact-checking organisations in the world. And in 2019, there are 210 fact-checking organisations around the world. So it's just in the space of five years, we've seen basically that number fivefold increase. We've seen, as you said, that the, the increase of, of fact-checking organisations. Are those facts actually making a difference to people? Google has shown our fact checks four billion times in 2019, Um, not just full facts, but the fact checking community at large. So that's a lot of eyeballs seeing fact checks. 
how has that had an effect? We know in some cases it has led to de-ranking of information on certain platforms, so harmful information isn't spread further. We know in some cases it has protected people from inaccurate cures for coronavirus, for example, or it has given people the right information that they might need for an emergency. But there haven't been that many studies really on whether the information that people see and the ways that they see it have the intended effects. That's still kind of happening. We have bits and pieces, but a lot of the information we need is locked away in platforms that are slightly reluctant to give us that information. Um, so that's one of the challenges for the fact-checking community in the next few years is how can we make sure that the information we're putting out there is having the intended effect. Tell us a little bit more about Global Fact. Global Fact is the global fact-checking conference that happens every single year. So it's the opportunity for the fact-checking community to come together and learn from one another. So although it is different, fact-checking in every country, um, fact-checking in Nigeria is not the same as fact-checking in Sweden, for example. But there are still challenges that we all face together, uh, and it's always important to learn from one another. So it's our opportunity to see one another and learn. And like I said earlier, the number of fact checkers has gone up from 44 in 2014 to 210 in 2019. So there are plenty of uh, newbies that are on the scene that don't need to make the same mistakes as all of us older organisations. So it's a chance to learn and share. Excellent stuff. Mivan, thank you so much. Chief Operating Officer there at Full Fact. Now, it is time for our Ask Full Fact section. And for that, I need to get Tom Phillips back here to help me out with some of these questions. The first question that we have is from Francis Coppola on Twitter. And she was uh, watching the Prime Minister's Question Time this Wednesday and Boris Johnson made a very emphatic claim that no country has got a functioning test and trace app. Is the Prime Minister, Tom, correct in saying that no country in the world has got a functioning test and trace app? So that really depends on what you understand by the word functioning. I knew you were going to say that. The word functioning <laughs> is doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence. So unambiguously, lots of countries have launched track and trace apps that are working. And what we're talking about here in terms of these apps is apps that are specifically using the phone's inbuilt technology to detect when somebody may have had contact with another person who then may be test positive for COVID-19 later. So like there are lots of different types of apps and different ways of using apps in coronavirus. This is specifically what we're talking about here. It's apps that directly detect those contacts. Okay, so so let's take Germany, for example. They've had over 12 million downloads is the Prime Minister correct in insinuating that that test and trace app is not functioning? What are these 12 million people downloaded? So on a basic level, yes, these apps are functioning in the sense that, yeah, they exist, they work, in that you can download them, install them, they don't crash. The question is whether or not they are actually doing the thing that people are hoping for them to do. Because we are not the only country in the world that has had problems in developing these kind of apps. There are two major problems around these. One is that in order for it to be really effective in actually helping to control the spread of the outbreak, quite a lot of people need to actually download it. And so in France, who launched theirs on the 2nd of June, they've only had a really small percentage of the population have actually downloaded and installed it. Germany has had more success on this. So like 12 million users have downloaded that. And so that's a better uptake rate. And a few other countries have had uptake rates into sort of the high 30% of the population. And there is a more fundamental question 
question as well, which is that it's still not entirely clear whether or not the Bluetooth technology that most of these apps are using in order to detect close contacts is in fact effective enough at detecting a real genuine close contact as opposed to one that actually isn't. So if your neighbour has thin walls, it may think that you're in contact with your neighbour when actually you're in completely different parts Mm -hmm. of the building. So there are real questions that still are around whether or not these apps are functioning in the way that was hoped. It's the difference between functioning and being effective. We know that there are apps out there who are, which are working, they're being downloaded, they are functioning. Whether they're being effective, that's still to be judged because they haven't been around for that long. Yeah, exactly. It's the difference between functioning and functioning as hoped, I guess, is, is yeah. what we're talking about there. Another question that we have been asked by plenty, plenty of four-fact listeners has been about hand sanitizer and claims that hand sanitizer could self-combust if left in a hot car. As with lots of things, there is a, there's a little kernel of truth here, but it's been really overstated. The basic point is that there are two ideas being conflated here. One is the flashpoint. So anything that has alcohol in it can give off alcoholic vapours. Those vapours can potentially ignite if there is a spark. So that's right. one thing. And that happens at quite low temperatures. So it's possible that hand sanitizer could give off vapors that could ignite with a spark in the kind of temperature that your car might get to on a hot day. So that's in sort of, you know, the mid-20s, and most cars will get hotter than that on if they're left in the sun on a hot day. But the point about that is it still needs a spark. It isn't going to spontaneously combust. And the point mm-hmm. at which alcohol hand sanitizer might actually spontaneously combust, which is the thing that's really being discussed here, is much, much higher. That's up at around the territory of 360 degrees centigrade, which your car is not going to get to. Yeah, and your car will have melted and you would have also probably died. Why has this spread, though? A person who's involved in making this podcast, their parent said, oh, well, I was was thinking about removing the hand sanitizer from the car. Why has this story reached people? It's had, as they say in in the Westminster bubble, it's had cut through. Why? So the reason that we fact-check this again this week is because the NHS has been putting this out. NHS Property and Services, they put out an actual warning to NHS staff saying, take your hand sanitizer out of your car because it might spontaneously combust. They said that they got this from Unison, the trade union, and we're trying to track that back where Unison got it from. We know that fire departments in the US have been putting out this warning. We assume, generally, that official bodies, when they say something, it's because they've actually investigated it and found it to be true. Actually... Quite a lot of the time, especially if they're operating on precautionary principle, they may just be going off the same kind of rumours that all the rest of us have seen. But when they do that, they give it a sort of stamp of authority. And so this has been said by, you know, it's been said by fire departments in the US, it's been said by trade unions, it's been said by the NHS, it's been reported on the BBC as a result of the NHS saying it. We still haven't found a confirmed case of this actually happening, and the theoretical risk is pretty low because at the temperature it'll get to, it would require a spark to ignite that. And that's even if your hand sanitizer bottle is leaking enough that vapours can kind of come out of it. Tom, thank you for that. And thank you for listening to the Full Fact Podcast. Uh, You can find previous episodes and any future episodes on Acast, iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you can think of. Uh, Be sure to subscribe and the latest episode will be ready on your device every Friday morning. And do leave us a review because it helps us climb up the charts and it helps more people People find good information and good information is good for all of us.